0: That's what we have to look forward
1: to. So, that's the, yeah, that, that's a good segue into a conversation I want to have this morning on um, this concept of God's mediated grace and why we need to be an international family of affection. Why that is so important to the Lord. So, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2 and uh, as you're turning, I'm going to frame this just a bit. Uh, we have we have been students of church history. Many of you have, and you you would have to be completely, you know, detached from the human race and and uh, the storyline that's unfolding to to miss the significant changes that have taken place in Christendom over the last four or five hundred years. 500 years ago, a guy named Luther, as well as others, Zwingli, they began discovering that the Roman Catholic Church had been steered into a very bad direction, which is works righteousness. And that, that uh, traditions of men and a distortion of papal, uh, you know, papal lineage distorted the gospel And ripped the gospel right out of the church. So these reformers uncovered the gospel of grace. And that we're saved by grace through faith. And this message of grace through faith radically transformed the church. But it was an introductory experience of grace. It was like, okay, we don't have to earn our way to heaven. We're right before God through Jesus. His mercy and His grace, the finished work of the cross, is why we get access to God. So the early church um, was transformed just by that message. But it was a beginning message of grace. Now we're heading into what many, many consider the second great reformation. Where God is clearly changing the understanding and expression of Christianity in our generation. And what... Started the first great reformation is going to jump start the second great reformation which is another level of the revelation of God's goodness God's grace and rather than just confining grace to how we're saved and going to heaven we're going to get a whole new window into the greatness the bigness the goodness of God that grace is something far bigger than we ever thought or imagined that the whole Christian life Is supernatural. And everything that we're to walk in will be animated by this thing called the grace of God. The grace of God is probably one of the most important themes of Scripture for us to understand. It's it's throughout both the Old and New Testament. And um, the other day I got a call from a 98-year-old friend who lives in Lompoc, California. I posted the story on Facebook. And this lady allowed me to live in her basement with this other guy when I was 18 years old. I was a summer ministry intern in Glendale working with the urban kids. And Lois was the first one to introduce me to the grace of God called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that summer at 18 in Southern California on a golf course doing wind sprints, working out for college football, I had a three-hour baptism in the Holy Spirit and fire. Simply because that lady, who I thought was old at the time, told me about that possibility in Scripture, that that was in the smorgasbord or the recipe of the menu of heaven. She on the phone says, Tim, I finally figured out what grace is. Somebody told me. And I'm like, 98 years old, you've been walking in the baptism. And the, the revelation of grace is just now hitting her at 98 years old. She said, I learned grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Of course, that that acronym has been around forever, but that was the first time she's ever heard it. God's riches at Christ's expense. The grace is the goodness of God, and there's levels of grace in Scripture. There's general grace. It says, God, it rains on the just and the unjust. There's general, we have clean water. Everyone has clean water. You can be a devil worshiper and, and drink clean water. That's the grace of God. And then there's saving grace. We're transferred from darkness into light by by the working of God's grace and His mercy. Then there's sanctifying grace. We're transformed into the likeness of Christ. And then there's this phrase in Scripture called great grace. Great grace was upon them all in the book of Acts. That's the grace that moves mountains. That's the grace that multiplies food. That's the grace that cast demons out of people. That's the finger of God. That's Christ himself manifesting through you and me. That's you moving in the fruit of the Spirit, the wisdom and revelation of the Spirit, and the power of the Spirit, because Jesus Christ is radiating out of you. You are lit up by grace because Christ is grace. Now, the, the second great reformation, we are watching... And an explosion of revelation on this topic of grace. more books have come out in the last 10 years on this topic of grace in the last 10 years than have come out for the last you know 300 years before that. there's a deluge of teaching on the topic of grace because God's trying to get the attention of the church. Now the religious spirits are trying to block this revelation because they don't want you to have it. So there's all these illegal you know um, I say illegal, but over, overbearing and overwhelming fear that's being put in and around this topic. Like if you start searching grace, you'll become a universalist. Or if you start learning about grace, you'll, you'll become licentiousness and indifferent to sin. And you'll use it as a license to sin. Well, none of the great grace teachers are promoting that. A couple of them have. But almost nobody really has that understands grace because what they're saying is it's the power of grace that makes you holy. It's the power of grace that transforms you into Christ-likeness. It's the power of grace that gives you the desire not to sin. It's the power of grace that gives you the desire to be holy and to be righteous and to be full of joy. And so that word grace, which is charis in the Bible, in the Greek it's charis, the same word for grace, charis, is also the word for gift, which is also the word for joy, and it's also the word for thanksgiving, depending on the context. So grace is the doorway to your joy. And you have to understand grace as a free gift. It's not earned or deserved. It's not mixed based on your performance. A religious spirit says you'll get grace if you perform for it. If you show up, if you pay up, if you do the things, if you keep the rules, you get grace. And all of that is a, a, a demonic conspiracy to get you into works righteousness religion. We are saved by grace through faith. We are made whole by grace through faith. We have great grace, which is a gift from God by faith. So let's read this verse, Ephesians two eight nine. For it is by grace you've been made whole, saved, sozoed, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. All right, now the second great theme of this Reformation is going to be the kingdomizing of the population of the church so that they understand that they've been destined for great works. There is going to be... An eradication of what I call a gloom and doom eschatology that says we're going to get raptured off the planet and just buy your time, hang on for dear life, and um, the cavalry's coming, but basically it's all about getting off the planet and into the sweet by and by where you can pluck harps and float on clouds. Now, that, that eschatology is wrong. What God says in the scripture is that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and they're going to collide. The the Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem is going to come to the earth. You are going to be given a body, a new body, just like Christ was given a new body. You can beep in and beep out. You can be touched. You can eat food, but you'll be be, um, able to interact with with a material realm, and you'll be able to interact with a spiritual realm. Your body will get an upgrade, but you'll look familiar to us. So everything that you do in this life, right now, you're in eternity. So every diaper you change, every bathroom you clean, every um, pet you heal up, every child you raise, every you know, deck you build or basement you put together, everything you do, is relevant into the, into, the, uh, into the next age. You're in the age to come right now. You're in the end times right now. And life doesn't start, eternity doesn't start when Christ returns. We are in the epic story of kingdomizing the planet right now. So you've been destined to do works. But those works you cannot do apart from grace. Grace. So you have to have a command of this revelation of grace in order to do your destiny. Now, how do you know your vocation, your calling, your destiny? How do you know that? Let me answer answer the question for you, and then I'm going to have you discuss it with me a minute. Your destiny or your calling will be exposed by the needs you feel need to be solved, by the problems that need to be solved. The problems that need to be solved are a burden that God broke off In your life, and He has created you in such a way that you can solve a problem that no one else can solve in the way you could solve it. You are created before the beginning of time as God's workmanship, His art, and before the beginning of time, you've been pre wired to do a certain thing on the planet that no one else can do. You're supposed to solve a problem that no one else can solve. So you'll know your destiny and your calling. When you discover the burden or the needs that you are supposed to meet, the problems you're supposed to solve. In other words, what makes you agitated? What makes you concerned? What makes you frustrated? What gets you upset? Those are probably indicators of how you've been wired by God and what what you're called here to do. How's that for a strange definition? And a lot of times we get into a church body and we think the, the, the goal of the church is to just to have meetings and be together. It's not. It's to equip us to do the work of ministry we've been called to do all day long. So this is an equipping session, a training session in the Word of God. And we have to get a new mindset, a new paradigm for who we are and what we're called to do. You're a son of God, living in the family of God, here to bring the kingdom of God on earth. You won't do that Without one, a fresh revelation of grace and two, a fresh revelation of the the kingdom advancing purpose you've been given. Those two things, those mighty things are part of the reformation that's going on. There's a reformation of identity. Never before has the church talked so much about sonship. About inner healing. About being a royal priesthood about being priests, prophets, and kings. Never before in church history has there been such an emphasis to the body of Christ to figure out who you really are in Christ. You're a son of God. I mean, that was never talked about to this degree 100 years ago, 200 years ago, ever. I mean, if you just study the the documents that were published, they weren't out there. It wasn't being talked about. Now it's critical. It's unthinkable for you to be in a church where they don't talk about your identity in Christ. Another thing that was barely talked about a hundred years ago was apostolic tribes, families, international families of affection, the fivefold ministry gifts, the need to connect your heart one to another, deep and intentional community. Yeah, that was in some movements, but they were they were very rare, like the Moravians. Very rare. Did you have people discovering true community now? It's becoming a normative topic. And it's the book I'm writing is on international families of affection. That's not necessarily the title, but that's what I'm writing on is this great reformation and what God's doing in the earth today. Third thing that you, you've almost never heard about was the, the seven mountains, the kingdom of God on earth. Because everyone thought up until 100 years ago that the kingdom would come when Christ returned. And we're just biding our time. And then breakthrough theologians like George Ladd and now one of my favorites is N.T. Wright who talks about a new heaven and a new earth. And it's a a hopeful eschatology. It's a relevant eschatology. It's not a gloom and doom one. It's one that that has tremendous hope. And I'm going to tell you something right now. If a person that doesn't think um, that history can be made never goes out to make history... They just crawl in a hole and wait. They crawl in it, they they stockpile food and guns, and they wait around until everything goes to hell in a handbasket. That fear based approach to life, that ostrich approach to life, that's like, let's go hide because we're nervous and afraid, that gloom and doom, God's judging the planet. He is not judging the planet. God already judged the planet in, in Jesus. Now He's using sons of God. To bring the kingdom of God on earth. And believe me, the church will not be some wimpy little ugly bride at the end of history. The church will be a glorious, beautiful, powerful bride without spot or wrinkle. And she will be mighty and she'll move in great great love, great revelation, and great power. And she will, she will be at the head of all seven jurisdictions of influence. The marketplace, family, the arts, media, hospital care. You know, education, civil and social services. The church will be at the head bringing creative prophetic solutions to problems that no one else can solve. We will kingdomize and are kingdomizing the planet. We will be the source of great inventions. We will be the source of solving transportation problems. And God is going to visit people in dreams and visions and give them new businesses and ideas And ways to solve problems. And your calling is wrapped up in the solving of great problems. And so God is breaking people out of this churchy mentality that says the kingdom only goes on in the church. No, it doesn't. The kingdom goes on all day long in our lives. Whether we're bidding for a job at an electric company or wiring wire or fixing a new building up in in, in Laramie. Everything we do... This is where this thing gets critical. You need all the grace in your life you can possibly absorb. Is that true? If you're going to walk in your identity, if you're going to walk in healthy relationships, if you're going to walk in your destiny, you need the supernatural, lubricating influence of God in your life. You will not make it without grace. And it's not grace plus your effort. It's Jesus plus nothing. Jesus' job is to do all the supernatural stuff that you can't do. Your job is to to have faith in, in grace. His job? Grace. Your job? Faith. Everybody got that? Now, faith does translate into action, but it's never about works. About earning it. Now, if that's true... That you won't work in your identity and your relationships and your destiny outside of grace. And it's true that you need all the grace you can get. You need to know just how God mediates it then. Because you don't get grace on your terms, beloved. You get grace on the terms that God says you get grace on. So in America, we think we can control the flow of grace based upon our preferences. And that's the deception at a very high level now the number one way God mediates his grace is through connected hearts right relationships he mediates or conducts his grace in the context of natural families and spiritual families no plan B of course God can pour grace into your life Um, directly. you know, He can show up and manifest himself. But he reserves the right to release grace through the conduits that he chooses. And he is a family man. He's a father, a son, and a spirit. He's a relational being. And so he set things up in such a way that you have to come into unity at a mind level, at a heart level, and a life level with others in order to get the grace you need to make it. So people that have an isola- a, a, a predisposition to isolation or independence are walking in a much lower level of grace than they could have. And the number one goal of hell is to keep you away from people, keep you isolated, keep you offended, keep you away from people. Because, you know, people are a problem. People are painful. You know, keep you away from, you know, in your own mind, in your own relationships. Don't connect at mind. Don't connect at heart. Don't connect in your lifestyle. And if he can hive you off just a little bit, even if it's a kink in the hose, it chokes the level of grace that's coming into your life. So, relationships are not a little matter. And it's one of the most missing elements that I've seen in the church. It's the most scary. Because the people that have hurt me the most, you know, the the way I've been hurt the most is by people. And now God's saying, i got to go get a people to get grace? Like, uh, no thanks. So our emotional wiring is such that we have a wounding and a stronghold around the topic of relationships. Would you guys agree? Okay, so wouldn't that appear a conspiracy? So if it's the natural family and the spiritual family that would be agents of grace, why wouldn't hell do everything possible to rip up and tear up a natural family and a spiritual family or to redefine church into some other way besides heart connecting? So I'm going to give you... Two or three examples, and I want to. I'm going to ask you some questions about this to to encourage you forward in this journey, because um, you're going to be asked by the Lord to champion grace and to teach people how to how to receive it. So here's a couple examples in Ephesians. It says, "Children, honor your father and mother." It says because it it will go well with you, and you'll live a long life. It's the only commandment with a promise. In other words, God mediates His grace to the children through the parents. And if if, if if in a culture of honor, you honor and submit to the Christ in your parents, God will supernaturally download grace into your life simply by the way you align with your parents. And by the way, even though there's a governmental shift at marriage, there's still a relevance to honoring fathers and mothers even after marriage. Disrespect and dishonor will shut down the flow of grace. So your challenge is to honor and submit to dishonorable people when their parents aren't perfect. Because no parent is perfect. Is that is that... Are we aware of that? Alright, so how many of you see the correspondence between The way you treat your parents and how well your life's going. Your attitude toward your parents, your submission to your parents, your desire to please your parents, those things are critical if you want to have a safe and successful life. It's an invisible conduit of grace into your life, how you relate to your parents. Man, I wish somebody would have taught me this. Even it says in Colossians three twenty, children obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. But also says, Fathers, don't embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. So it goes both ways, for sure. But then it says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. Now I'm talking about a Colossians chapter three, verse twenty two. In other words, you can be at a secular work site and have a bad attitude towards your management or your owners and it grieves the lord even if you're a slave owned by a slave owner now paul's never condoning slavery here he's simply saying in that known world at the time there was slavery and he and he's so he's going he's taking it to the worst case scenario if you are the property of someone else Again, he's not endorsing it. He's just simply, if, if you find yourself in this position and you're a believer, that still doesn't give you the right to just disrespect this authority in your life. doesn't mean you've got to like what they're saying. It means the attitude that you approach this thing is important. He goes... Uh, he goes, So, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So anyone who does wrong will be, paid, be repaid for his wrong and there is no favoritism. In other words, this works all the time universally. Now one more, it's in Peter and uh, it goes like this and I'm not going to take the time to look it up but it says this, young men honor old men in the Lord because God gives grace to the humble. So now here's a strange thing. He's talking about spiritual leaders now. Young men, young women, there's something wise about the way you relate to delegated authority in your life. When you submit and honor them, they become a conduit now of the grace of God to you. And things will improve in your life because of it. Now as we know, if we understand the definition of true leadership in scripture, it's always to reveal Jesus. It's always to serve on behalf of Christ. It's never about the leader, it's always about the people. A true leader is a servant and they lead by they lead from underneath. They don't lord it over people. They they live to release the maximum amount of grace for the people that they're entrusted to care for. And um You know, really, the Lord has done a tremendous work in our leadership team. And he has adjusted our inner disposition so that none of us are animated by wanting to be great or wanting to be rich and famous. Our whole goal is to release a maximum amount of grace into the lives of the people that God's put in our care. Now, we can't spend time with everybody all day long, but uh, we pray night and day. We fight for a culture of grace and honor. We fight to upgrade people in their finances, and their lives. And I honestly can tell you that almost without exception, anybody that gets in proximity of this family and submits and yields to one another, it's the grace of one another and to the leadership team, things go well for them. Economics start happening. Favor hits them, health hits them. That doesn't mean things don't ever go, you know, never go wrong. But just in general, there is a flow upward. There's a, a redemption and lift that takes place in people's lives when they come in close, close proximity to an apostolic tribe. Not just our tribe, but any healthy tribe, and we're no exception. Again, that doesn't mean there aren't problems. That doesn't mean people don't struggle. That doesn't mean people don't get sick. But all in all, redemption and lift takes place in the culture and atmosphere of a kingdom people. Grace starts coming in ever-increasing levels. So what, what I'm trying to appeal for here is for you to be a student of the topic of grace and how the kingdom of God is coming on earth Because both of them involve right relationships. How many of you know what I'm getting at here? So, the early church was of one mind, unity is the key, of one heart, and of one lifestyle. This mystical union was the conduit or the portal for the unleashing of God's blessing and favor and presence in their life. Now, I'm not saying this to, for any self-serving reason because the more people that we have, the more inconvenience it in, and more costly it is for me and Mono and others. This is not like we're trying to, you know, stump for some, you know, numerical uptick or anything like that. That's why we haven't really... Gone after Nichols and Noses, so to speak. We're after sons of God in family. And so it takes a while for people's paradigm shifts to to take place because um, most people don't know the rules of the kingdom. Now, one more point I want to make. A lot of times in the old model that's very hierarchical, everybody thinks that they, they have to relate directly to the point leader in order to get that grace. And so they diminish the role and the value of other people in the family because, you know, they're just the peons. But, um, you know, the leader's the guy. How many of you have kind of gotten that impression in the past? The big dude, you got to know the big dude and have access to the big dude. And if you don't know the big dude, then you're kind of a little dude and, or dudette. And actually, that's not true. In the kingdom... When we rightly relate to each other, everyone in the family can be a conduit of the Father's grace and heart. No one is just a DNA leader. No one is just a microchurch leader. No one is just a secretary. No one is just at anything. Everyone is a son or a daughter in this family. Everyone is important. So not only do you get to receive grace, you get to give grace. And in a culture of honor, we know that everyone is esteemed and valuable. Now, you take, again, I raised the, the topic of, of Kim Dimon two weeks ago. We were saying we need to have greater ownership and greater dialogue in our family so that more people bear weight. So I said, Kim, will you facilitate the training time? and uh was she at all nervous at any point in this oh
2: yeah (laughs) (laughs) i think she described it as basket case
1: (laughs) yeah she was like because she knew she was in over her head guess what everyone is in over their heads just so you know but in this setting god is going to put us all in over our heads every one of us is going to get an invitation multiple times to step out and do things we never thought possible and he has the right to bait and switch us, too, by the way. He gets the right for somebody to come in through the do- one doorway of worship leadership and then end up a micro church leader and have to figure out how to do it under pressure. Anybody know anybody that had to do that in this family? <clears throat> okay. So, bait and switch, baby. I mean, he has the right to do that. To catch us off guard, to push muscles and to push areas and pockets of our plate of our lives that he wants to saturate with grace, he has the right to offend our minds to reveal our hearts. Does anybody think that's true? Is God notorious for offending your mind to reveal your heart? He does it to me all the time, and that's why you. That's why family life, whereas there's a promise of grace, it usually comes through the package of some suffering, some hurt, some confusion, some mistakes. No one's perfect in a good family. No one. No one's the perfect leader. No one's the perfect anything. And so you get put in this imperfect family, but yet those imperfect people are the mediators of the grace that you need. So you have to fight through their personality quirks. You have to fight through what they do and how they do it. And you have to hold on to them under pressure Till that juice starts flowing and the exercise of that is painful it's confusing it's distorting but in the old traditional model where all you had to do is show up and go home and show up and go home or not show up until Christmas or Easter then go home again you know what I mean in this setting no we're asking people show up show up on tuesday nights show up on sunday mornings show up in dna groups and then do and then show up with each other throughout the week even more show up hook up connect up and release grace so show up open up connect up and release grace let's just go over that show up how many of you think showing up is a big deal Mm -hmm. like showing up is big because you influence with your absence. If you have been part of a family and God sets you into that family, if the, if the hand doesn't show up, how many of you think it's an inconvenience? Mm-hmm. So do not underestimate yourself. You can influence with your absence. So we show up. Then what do we do? Open up. Open up. What are we opening? Our hearts. Our hearts. Can you show up and not open up? How many of you have ever shown up and not opened up? <laughs> how, how many of you have wandered around the crowd putting on a nice little cute you know, mask of, I'm here, but I don't want to be here? <laughs> of course. I, I mean, I, I'm embarrassed to say this. This has happened to me on occasion.
0: No.
1: It has. It has. And I get, I bet I get soundly disciplined by the Lord when that happens. Because he goes, look man, you're supposed to be a coach in this deal. And you don't have the privilege of showing up and closing up. So I got to show up and open up. And I get to be transparent. I don't get to be, you know, the faker mystique leader that hides behind his title. I have to be a human being in this family. I get to be a human being in this family. So I show up and I open up. What else do we do? connect up so you can be opened up but not connected up right is it is the people in this room a sovereign choice of God for your life or do you just think that it's just a crowd that like you can do without the other the other three people but your friend you got you know but you can do without everybody else do you think there's a mystical reason why the other people are in this room and that the players are who they are like, do you think it's an, an accident or do you think the sovereignty of God is playing with you? What do you think? Is it a big accident? Are you just dumb enough? You just stumbled in here and it's a big mistake? Or is God involved? It's a sovereign accident. <laughs> sovereign accident. <laughs> oh, bad theology but funny. <laughs> no, it's sovereign, which means you should show up open up and connect up with every single person you get a chance to do that, even the ones that you would not normally be interested in. Because there's a good chance that inside of them is a deposit of grace that you need to get from them and that you have to give to them. So what I'm watching all the time is I'm trying to figure out, is there any divine exchange occurring when we're together? I'm trying to read the culture. I'm not trying to sneak up on you and, you know, like get in your business. But I, what I'm interested in as a life coach, as a leader is, have you learned the art of showing up, opening up, connecting up, and then transmitting the life of Christ, the grace of God, which is a mystical thing. It comes in the form of the fruit of the Spirit, the wisdom of the Spirit, and the power of the Spirit. Does, if, if you show up, open up, connect up, but nothing's coming out of you, What's wrong?
0: Is that possible to do that and not have anything come out
1: of you? I don't think it's possible unless you've completely you know, like shut Jesus off and there's no life in Christ. But like Graham Cook says, whether, whether you're in a good mood or not, if you show up, open up, connect up, something of God is going to flow out of you to someone else, even if you're in a bad mood. Because it's more about Jesus than it is you. So, here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask Sue.
0: <laughs> I would like you to
1: tell your story about the discovery of mediated grace and what, how it affected your life. Because I think you have a pretty powerful story. And I'll just, I'll just sit right now.
3: Okay. So, to go back a little bit... Um, regarding problems that need to be solved or stuff that just in my life was like, I need to see this differently. Um, A big one was grace. I I didn't see grace operating in my life very well. Um, I would pray for people and they would die. And, you know, (laughs) I saw more people die than live. And, um, you know, I saw the church uh, a mess, hurting people and not helping people. And, so really, I feel like I don't know that I have complete clarity about my calling, but I know it has to do with um, changing the expression of Christianity in this generation. So um, so now I'm, I'm uh, transcribing Tim's messages, and I run across this, this um, sentence, Grace is mediated through the level of connectedness. Everyone determines the level of their grace. And it just resonates inside of me, and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, this is the answer that I've been waiting for. This is it right here." The reason that I don't see the grace in my life that I want is because I'm not connected to people. So, um, and I, and I'm not not connected to people. I'm connected to some people, and um, and and I'm probably more transparent than a lot of people I know. Okay, <laughs> uh, but not always. I guess I would have to say that um, because rejection has always been a big deal in my life, it's a painful thing for me to venture out and be transparent and open up and then, you know, run the risk of getting rejected. So I'm working through that, all that stuff as well. But I saw here that this was huge and um, so... Just to give you a testimony there 's a gal that 's not part of rock tribe that i 've known for years and and we 've been meeting weekly, and we are very connected at the heart and she um, she told me something a couple or three weeks ago that uh, that she was very ashamed of that she 'd never told anyone else and and when she told me it, I just immediately told her that God was not disappointed with her that God loved her and I was so proud of her for bringing it out into the light because I knew that this was going to stop the um, you know she was stuck it was going to stop the uh, torment that was going on in her life and then she said and you know what I have this this lump on my breast that I've had for a year and it's very painful and I don't want to go to the doctor and because I believe that you just have to pray and it goes away and I said, well, I want you to go to the doctor, but I'm going to pray for you right now. And so I prayed for her, and then she went to the doctor, and about three days later she called me and she said, you know what, Sue, the lump is gone, completely gone. And, and to me that was God showing me this is, this is how grace is mediated because you guys were connected at the heart. She brought something out into the light. She was transparent, and then, and then the grace was able to flow you know, and I guess on a, in a small way that's a great example, but but what's also happening is because I'm understanding that this, that I determine the level of grace that flows in my life, I'm like looking at all of my relationships, I'm going, oh my gosh, there's people that I have my heart closed to, I need to stop that. I need to, so I'm reaching out to people and saying, and I'm making an appeal, I want to spend time with you. I want my heart to be open. I want us to be connected, because I understand that this is huge. And this, this affects the whole of Rock Tribe. If we're going to do this, we have to learn to do it so that we can show other people how to do it. We have to be an example. And so um, is that what you were now, looking for? You,
1: that was brilliant. Again, I want you to answer one more question for you personally. Your, your dynamic journey with leader types. Mm-hmm. And the particularly male leader types, and your the, the the wall the hurt the dynamics around male leader types, and then your journey with me, and be transparent, the struggles the good the bad the ugly, and how why that was important for you and what's happened as a result, because I think people have a real problem with leaders, <laughs> like. Would everybody agree with that, Mm -hmm. particularly male leaders? Well,
3: okay, so I have to say that when I first got saved, when I was 16, um, you know, I've always been drawn to to men of God, you know, just because I'm drawn to them because that's my heart loves Jesus, and I'm drawn because I want to be discipled. And so... I think probably in an unhealthy way, I was drawn to men of God because they had a relationship I wanted. And I kind of illegally wanted their relationship with God. And God showed me that I had to have my own. But through that process, I learned, I mean, I got hurt a zillion times because um, I, I would put these people in a place that they shouldn't be in my life. And then they would fall off their pedestal always. And I would like be upset.
1: <laughs> and then I would,
3: I know. And then I would, uh, and then I would, you know. And then I would have a little. I don't know. You just keep going forward, but. Um,
1: Any inner vows?
3: Um, inner vows about. Out of pain. About male leadership.
1: About leaders.
3: I don't know, Tim. God might reveal one to me right now, but. Um, But I mean, I will say that I still have um, I I have unresolved stuff still with male leaders. I I, and I can't go much further than that. I just know that it's there um, and that I'm working through it. But working with Tim has and and I guess I mean I've been I've been put in situations where I've been put in leadership by people and had like zero support and been torn down and been in meetings where I was the only woman and there were seven men and they were all berating me. And I mean, I've had like these unbelievable experiences with male leadership that um that were really honestly devastating to me. And so when I came into this thing with Tim, I even remember talking to somebody saying, you know, I really like Tim, and I don't want my attitude towards male leadership to affect him. So I think I need some inner healing or something, but uh, I don't know that that really happened uh, right then, but it's happened over time. And I think the um, the big difference with Tim is that he's been transparent. Um, he's always been affirming to me. Um, I, I can't look at you or I'll start crying. So, um... <laughs> uh, oh... I looked at him, <laughs> um, you know, he's really, he's loved me, and he's seen the Christ in me, and he's called me up to a bigger place, and he's seen my value, and he's always pointed me to Jesus, and, you know, I've, uh, I haven't always been I mean, we've had our tiffs, you know, I haven't always been wonderful to work with and yet he still loved me anyway and he's worked with me through those things. So um, and as a result, you know, I've been really blessed. I've been blessed because I honor him greatly. And I've been blessed because
1: of that. So did that answer your question? Yeah, totally I <laughs> just the reason I wanted to say this was not because I wanted to be the hero of the story, because to me, she's the hero of the story. And do you know how hard it is to work through a lifetime of disappointment and pain and setback and have these deep hurts and then to fight in the opposite spirit towards somebody's heart who represents the source of your pain? And so. Yeah, Sue affirm me, but I really want you to know that it's doable. Yeah. It's doable to come out of a place of deep disappointment and hurt. And I am definitely not the perfect leader. Mono's not the perfect leader. We can do things that are insensitive or miss things or, you know, have expectations that aren't getting met. I mean it can happen all the time, especially with mono. But <laughs> <laughs> no. Completely opposite. But the fact is, what I've seen Sue do is she fights back toward us, toward me every single time and takes the risk of rejection, really. And it's never happened and it never will happen, um, but by the grace of God. But I say this for those listening to this and for you in this room, that I, I guarantee you most of us have church wounds, leader wounds, people wounds that are operating at a low-grade influence in your life they're, they're, that produces a shutdown or a blockage. Some kind of fear that is shaping your very personality and ripping you off from the full grace that God wants. Does anybody want to share more you know now and just add to the story of like where are you in your journey toward the the connecting of your heart with this family and what are your present fears what are your present struggles what do you think blo- what do you think is blocking the way for this to happen
0: i want to just add with a little bit of sue mm-hmm. is Watching the process, watching the two of them, and it wasn't just how you walked walked it through, but it was the speed in which you did it. I've never seen Sue re- anybody recover so quickly after diagnosing herself. And the speed in which she did it, and she dealt with it with Tim. It wasn't after she went and talked to 10 people about it, and then you know, came, but I want to honor you in how you process, mm-hmm. how quickly you do it, and honoring you in how you do it, that, uh, it, it just, it blows my mind, like, when Tim would share something, I'd go, Sue's my hero, so I, that I think is critical, yeah. how you do it, and how quickly you do it, it's like it didn't take her six months to stew over it, and I just wanted yeah
1: to... yeah. Sometimes, like if 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 her feelings got hurt, or some misunderstanding has taken place, or whatever, she will send me a little text, or a note, or an email, or a phone call, and go, "This this didn't land exactly right, or I've got to work on this." And it's not like she's walking around as this insecure person that's always needing reassurance, but it's stuff that comes up. But she does current present tense homework or. We can say to each other, look, we, had this. we did talk about this, but she goes, I, we need to revisit it because it didn't go deep enough. And she'll, she won't let up until the heart is softened up, connected up, and grace is flowing again. And I tell you what, that right there is, the, is a key to the success of an MKF. Because most people are walking around with low-grade offenses and fears, and they're faking it. So a healthy culture is a transparent culture. Now, the other thing is that makes us think we've got to change the way we approach microchurches because we've got to help each other learn how to view the, the true self, not the false self. And most people in the church, they do not know how to differentiate between the true self and the false self. And most of us are relating to each other based on our behavior. So um, that leads me to the next person I want to talk to, which is David. David, what discoveries are you making? I, I know because we had a six extended time yesterday. It was awesome. It was one of the more, most encouraging times I've had with David. And um, what have you learned about this grace and how, how you've been upgraded in how you relate to people? And just comment on this because this is pretty huge. Um well we uh, we got to sit down and
4: talk for a while yesterday, which was just as enjoyable. It was a good time in the morning um, and we were talking a lot about uh how basically one of the main things that i'm learning is how to relate properly to people without inappropriate expectations on them you know on the the big reality that you know that we've talked about for the last several weeks or months you know recently is that um you know, in order to get God, you believe and you receive, not believe, receive, and change your behavior, you know, and so if my expectation is that, you know, to receive, to connect with me, you have to believe, receive, and then change your behavior, then I'm adding mixture, you know, and I don't want to, I don't want to put people um, under an expectation of mine in order to receive my affection or in order to for me to open up and connect with them and uh, and so it's it's changed how i've looked at you know my kids uh, my wife you know people in my mkf and uh, people here on sundays and, and even you know in the workplace and stuff so i'm i'm really working on removing behavior and removing inappropriate expectations from the equation so that i can so that i can open myself up and connect with somebody despite how they're behaving you know there is no behavior modification that that has any bearing on who I choose to open up to you know that's there's no ch- it, it's it removes that aspect from the equation so that I choose to open up to each individual you know in front of me no matter who they are so that was the that was the gist of it for the most part I don't know
1: the, 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 you envision a sign
4: yeah, and I've I brought this up, yeah, and I've said this, you know, a bunch of times, and I keep saying it to myself, and, uh, you know, when we have different meetings, but, you know, um, Jess brought up, at the very beginning of the year, just shortly after January 1st, she brought up, oh, I was listening to a podcast, and, you know, the this this person, you know, had this idea of, you know, when your kid is misbehaving, just like you know, take that attitude or that behavior and just set it aside and, and relate to your child. And I was like, oh, that's a good thing. And I, I just kind of extrapolated the the picture in my head to say, like, I, I literally have to, when I'm relating to somebody, I have to picture them and the behavior that's that's catching me off guard, that's frustrating me that I find, like, difficult to get around i literally have to picture the person with like a wooden sign that's got a string on it that hangs around their neck and like that behavior is painted on the sign you know like if it's even if it's just something quirky you know that's not like they're not sinning they're not being you know they're not doing anything wrong it's just like this quirky behavior or this something or other that's just kind of rubbing me wrong i literally have to picture that as a sign on their neck and like i have to pick that up off of them and i gotta take the sign off of their neck and and put it aside or do something with it so that i'm seeing that person and not that person under their behavior you know and it's and so i i like intentionally set it aside so that i can say it doesn't whatever their behavior is doesn't matter i'm relating to them i'm opening up and connecting to them based on who they really are not who they're behaving as currently and um you know i think i've brought that picture up a couple times since january and it's it's just helpful for me to keep going back to it and saying, okay how do i how do i relate to my son when <laughs> he's like you know throwing a fit and he's screaming in the middle of mkf or something it's like okay there's bad behavior but I need to remove that so that I can relate tenderly and maybe there is some discipline that needs to happen or maybe there is something that needs to happen, but it can't affect my level of love for that person in the moment, you know, and, and that behavior when it is there, it typically affects my level of love or connection to them. So I want to take that off so that my level of connection is, is unhindered and I can deal with things from a place of love and grace not from frustration or, or disappointment so does that answer your question
1: yes brilliant does, does anybody have a question about this breakthrough that david is experiencing and this new lens really it's a new grid for how to relate mm-hmm. to people does anybody have a question or a comment to follow that up <clears throat> Maybe a definition that Graham Cook... put that in front of your face.
2: <laughs> a definition that I've been studying from Graham Cook of what grace is, and it's um, grace is the empowering presence of God to enable you to see yourself as the person that God sees every time he looks at you.
1: And Say that one more time because that's, we quoted that quoted it again.
2: So grace is the empowering presence of God that enables you to see the person that God sees every time He looks at you. And so when you have that understanding of grace, um, where you see God, or you see yourself, or you see others. In the light that God sees you, because God sees you washed clean. God sees you as beautiful. God sees you as a lovely person. You know, because you're washed clean before the throne. Because He can't see you in your sin, because that's the old man. And so, with that, it's that same idea of setting it aside the same way that the Lord sets it aside. And if the Lord sees you, you know, as himself, he sees his reflection in you, then you can also see his reflection in those around you.
1: Give me, give me an example of how Christ did this with somebody in the New Testament. I mean, can you think of an example?
2: Um, I'm not sure exactly.
1: Okay, can you guys think of an example? Yeah, everybody Jesus <laughs> oh, met. Yeah, everybody Jesus met. Give me one. I'm I'm not,
5: not, I mean, like uh, the prostitute, that's Mary Magdalene,
1: uh, Zacharias. Right. Zach- yeah. Zac- Zacchaeus. <laughs> <laughs> everybody, everybody,
5: everybody Jesus met.
1: Peter, he changed his name on his name. Yeah. Mm. Because you're not who you think you are. So he looked at him through the eyes mm. of God and his power to change him. And so mm. by by literally peeling away all the nastiness, he goes, I have the creative ability by my words to reshape you and change who you really are because I'm gonna see you as you really are. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: How is that amazing? Mm -hmm. What if we walked around as a family and did that? So for for me with that,
4: um, with that in mind, like that's, you know to kind of complete that thought process, the whole of of what I was talking about for how i 'm starting to relate to other people is it it 's been coming out of my ability to see what the Lord requires of me first and foremost mm-hmm. is that the expectation on me is to believe and receive, and there's nothing else you know it 's not believe, receive, and be- change your behavior there's not a there's not an extra requirement on top of that, that I have to be subject to, to receive his riches, his, his kindness, his love, his affection, his tenderness. So now that, now that some of those things are being shed off of me to where I no longer put inappropriate expectations on myself because the Lord doesn't, I'm now more able to relate to others that way. So like beforehand, I was mediating a grace with mixture because I was receiving a grace with mixture because of strongholds in my own mind. I thought I had to do X, Y, Z in order to receive. So I required other people to do X, Y, Z in order to receive from me. So now that there's a a more right relation to the Lord vertically for me to where I'm not having to adhere to an extra standard to get from him, I'm not requiring an extra standard of others to get from me, you know? Right. So it's as I'm learning the right way vertically that I'm now able to, to give the right way horizontally um, and receive the right way horizontally as well. It goes both ways. But there's, as that changed in my mind, it made a change in how I relate to other people so is there, this way. So
1: here's the paradox. If you do that to people, is their chance of changing behavior going to go up or go down?
4: If you relate rightly with other people the chance of their behavior changing when you relate rightly is much greater than if not yeah yeah
1: that's the paradox because we think that if I just now relate to you through your bad behavior and I tell you how you stinketh and how you're (laughs) offensive that that me putting the law on your false self is going to change you does it really change you or does it make you stinkier you get my point Mm -hmm. but if I if I love you unconditionally and I see you by the Spirit, the chances of your behavior changing are, are, are gonna happen. Yes, James Key. Um, so, I actually have a practical example of this. Guy. Come around here, would you? So we can. Um,
6: there's a certain person in my life that I've been practicing with. <laughs> I've been practicing grace. grace and, uh, is it a grace
1: grower? Grace, yeah. grace, yeah. Grower. grace
6: it's grower. grower. It's like, instead of seeing this person, this individual, as the world wants me to, I've decided to try taking something different, taking a different approach and, and just complimenting them. Every time I see them or every chance that I can encounter them, I'm like, I want I want to see you as the Lord sees you. And instead of changing their behaviors, change my perception of them. Wow. I begin to see them. like I just begin to have a greater grace over them. I've been having better prayers over them. I've been just interacting better with this person. And it's just like, it's not them changing, but I'm changing in relation. Woo! Like I'm not changing I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not doing this like I just wanted to see what kind of impact it could have. I was like, well why not? It's, it's nothing can go wrong by complimenting someone, by calling them higher, by loving them. Mm-hmm. And so it's like I just have begun to see this person how the Lord sees them and I yeah. begin to love them as he is required, as wow. he loves them. So it's mm-hmm. like I have. They haven't changed, but I've changed how I see. It's like I'm beginning to see in the spirit and see this person as the Lord sees it. It's just blowing my mind. She, that person's not changing at all, but, like, I'm changing. But you are.
1: See, them. is that just awesome? Can I just make a comment about yeah.
3: from the other person's perspective, from the person who, with the bad behavior? Because sometimes that's me. I'm the one with the bad behavior, and I... More than anything, I need you not to isolate from me. I need the grace from you in me at that moment when I have that bad behavior, and when you don't give it to me, it it just makes everything so much worse. I need you when I'm having bad behavior. I just need
1: yeah. All the more, it's it's almost like now. Here's the crazy thing: a spirit of rejection is very bizarre. Because a spirit of there's literally demons assigned to us, and most of us have had. a... anybody ever have a spirit of rejection? Like you just feel rejected. It's vi, it's it's the it's a wicked spirit. Guess what that spirit does? It dive bombs other people. What first of all it'll, it'll inspire stupid behavior. Then it'll dive bomb other people to hate to not like you to be repulsed by you, so that they avoid you, right. and that reinforces rejection. And it's an evil cycle. It
0: feeds it.
1: So the very people that operate on a spirit of rejection, people feel a desire to reject them. Because it die bombs you to reject them and it reinforces their rejection. Are you tracking with me? So the, the best groups in the world that understand the gospel actually love, they go more deliberately toward people with a high dork factor who have a spirit of rejection on them or they're emotionally unintelligent. The last people you want to ignore are the people. That have a high dork factor. In fact you want to press into them. That's what Sue's saying. And now she's not saying she has a high dork factor. <laughs> but guess what? All of us how many of all of us have had a high dork factor at some point? You, do you know yeah, Tim, Tim's volunteering. We, we, all we, all
5: rub. In LA? <laughs> we rub against each other. We
1: all do. It's exactly right. So no so I kid around and say I'm the chief of dorks and so that gives room for everybody to, sure, to
5: your
1: ignorance. It's it, So now one more thing I want to add before we close. This is so dynamic what we're talking about. This is the gospel and practical terms in family life. Now, there's this phrase in Scripture in Philippians. Paul says, I love you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, the reason this, this phrase, international family of affection, is so anointed is because one, we're supposed to be connected to people of all races, creeds, and colors, and in the nations. We're called, you know, Everyone's got an international side to them, they just don't know it. We need to be around people different than us. Because there's something about the grace of God in them we need. You won't, there's something about African Americans, Mexicans, Hispanics, you name it, we need it. Asians, we need it. We're not, we're not going to become fully like Jesus in a milky white culture. We've got to have an international family. Now, here's the thing about affection. I believe affection is one of the highest manifestations of the grace of God that can emit off a group of people. Because it's not just something you do, it's something you emit. It's a level of delight that you throw out of your spirit. It's, it's emitting off your spirit that good news is people the minute they're around you. And the reason why this is so important is brain science and research have discovered that the right side of your brain is so sophisticated, it can detect in a split second whether you're liked or not. You can pick up if somebody is delighting in you or not. The minute you're around them, you may not know it in your conscious mind, but in your subconscious mind, you can can catch the vibe that's on their life for you. And... What if we're a mixed family where some people are sending the message, I don't like you, and then the other ones are sending the message, I like you. Is that not schizophrenic? So it needs to be an international family of affection. So everyone in the family sends the vibe of welcome, of delight, of affection. No one no one gets to, to uh, be a dud in the equation. No one gets to be flat on this topic. So I believe, personally, catch my word on this now. I'm writing a book on the topic. I've been studying this thing for a long time. Pray for me. But I absolutely, 100% believe that one of the highest anointings you can admit, emit off your spirit is, a, is the anointing called affection. And we need a corporate anointing called affection. Because that is a level of grace that every human spirit needs to encounter. Many people have never even touched it in their own homes. Their homes are stoic and they're basically driven by the left brain. They're engineers, mathematicians, technicians, truth technicians, and whatever. And so a home that is animated by the left brain side of life is going to be shut down. So a family, we as a family, have to be animated by the right side of our brains, which is under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and we ooze and emit that literal affection and delight for every single person we see that we're in front of. Whether we like them or not like them. In other words, we've got to start liking them because God likes them. He liked Zacchaeus, even though he was a con artist and a manipulator. He liked the prostitute. He didn't like her behavior, but he liked her. And sinners loved Jesus. Why? Because he looked at them, not through the filter of their sin, but he saw them by who they were in God's eyes. And I am going to pray for a corporate anointing with you guys. If you'll stand with me. We need a corporate anointing in the affection of Christ Jesus. This is our prophetic mandate. Will this change the understanding and expression of Christianity in this generation? You can't get any higher than that. I was listening to a Bill Johnson teach on on healing. He was talking about a, a guy that's a faith healer and this guy is doing massively amazing miracles. I mean, limbs are growing out, popping out, things like that. And the Holy Spirit said, right in the middle of Bill Johnson's message, you ain't seen nothing yet. He goes, this is not the highest anointing. And I'm, I was taken aback because I was like, I really want to see that hit our church. Signs and wonders at that level. The guy goes, you ain't seen nothing yet. I said, what? He goes, there's a higher anointing than that. I go, what is it, Lord? He goes, it's the love anointing. The world can diminish a miracle like a physical healing. The world cannot argue with a corporate expression of affection. That is the one anointing that hell has nothing to say about. Hell cannot undermine it, hell cannot block it. It is the highest force in the earth is unified family tribal love, tribal affection. And that my friends is your calling. But you have individual homework to do and so do I. Of getting an upgrade if how God sees me, just like David said, I got I had to change the way God related to me before I could relate to other people better. And if you have not had a big dose of affection from heaven to you, then you can't, you don't have it to give out. So I am an I insist on hugging. I insist on on delighting and, and hugging and interaction and expressions of, of affection. And the leaders of our work will be people that know how to emit affection. That's the, promotion, that's the promotion channel into great leadership, I believe, in this move of God that's coming. And by the way, it's not just about the Rock Tribe. It's about what God's doing in the entire church. That the prophecy, international family affection, wasn't just about us, but somebody has got to embrace that word and be willing to do the homework, the repentance, the healing to get there. And then we'll have something to say to the nations. So come around here, Man and Deborah, and, and get, get in connection. And I'm going to ask I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask Mono to close with an, a prophetic impartation of this angel that we've been assigned to. There's actually three angels that Mono has seen. I've seen them in different forms. And then when we were talking about it one time on this trip to, uh, to uh, Cultivate Revival... Three hummingbirds started swirling around our table when we were talking about these three angels that have been assigned to our work. It was a bizarre story. So Father, in Jesus' mighty name, may we carry a corporate anointing, a grace, a grace. May we learn grace. May we learn how to advance the kingdom through the corridor of corporate affection. Now I know, Lord, that many of us have never been exposed to this. And I'm talking about a miracle above all miracles. That this trumps the raising of the dead. This trumps the growing of limbs. That a corporate anointing called affection is the highest anointing on the earth. I'm asking today that you heal our hearts. Mend us from the damage of being raised in in a fallen world and a broken church. Heal us from the inside out and the outside in. Give us grace and the kingdom within, between us and around us. And release to us, God, these three dynamics of the kingdom called love, joy, and affection. Release this grace, O God, in Jesus' name. And I want to hold this while you pray. So you, or you, uh, you can
0: <coughs>
5: Thank you. We want to pray for the whole tribe. And uh, you start right here with our own hearts. That there is... Uh, there is a level of yieldedness and surrender to your ways, Jesus, and how you how you encounter how you meet people that we want to embrace so I, I pray for a whole tribe and everybody in this room yeah. that we would receive from you Jesus the the uh, you would ruin us with how. How you affection us, how you deal with us, how you relate to us, and the problem is not with people rubbing us wrong and are uh, being this or that. It's it's us, and I ask you, Lord, that you start doing uh, a work of cleansing, repentance, healing, uh, that we don't put people in a certain category that we will not initiate or resource them with love, affection, and joy, or anything that you have placed in our lives, just because they are like this or like that. Uh, Like David was saying, uh, "Eh, they rubbed me a little wrong here. It's like, eh, it's quirky. Lord, do that now. Start to put your finger on the buttons that are locking us up Mm -hmm. from actually being transformed. Ah, Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your kindness that leads us to repentance. It is your goodness that leads us to repentance. It, when we realize how good you really are relating to us, wow, that leads us to repentance. Lord, I, I pray for a... Um, a Holy Spirit season for each one of us, where this aspect of grace is uh, is being revealed the uh, the revelation of how you actually see us, how you relate to us how how good you are to us, or it may be transforming oh we we pray for the whole rock tribe to be um, a source, Father, that means we initiate, we, we start emitting and valuing and uh, that this is a priority that we like, love, affection, people, wherever they are. Thank you for it is a supernatural miracle because we don't have it in our flesh to do that. Transform, I pray. Transform us into Your image, Jesus. Mm-hmm. More and more of You, Lord. I ask that any um, any hard conversation you want to have with us that you would have, that any any um, any people type that we can't even receive anything from them, that uh, they would be highlighted. Thank you for highlighters in the spirit. And uh, we want to say right now, confess, Lord, even if we don't know how to start, we are willing for you to start. We're willing for you to do that in us. And I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.